Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. So if you got your Bibles, Acts 2, 14 through, through 21, as, as Caleb uh, read this morning, um, I'm really glad that first-time preachers are, are not uh, held to the standard of Peter's first sermon. You know, get an amen. Right, like, my, my first sermon was, was in my hometown uh, and it was December of 2006. I had already been a youth pastor for three or four years. And, you know, I, I had given, uh, I had done Bible studies and small groups and youth talk, youth talks. But this was, this was sort of my first experience. It was my first sermon to an adult congregation. I, I don't think I said anything like too heretical. Um, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I preached from Matthew chapter 6, and, uh, and, and I know for those of you who know me, this is going to be shocking, but I preached on how we should uh, treasure Jesus above all, all things. Uh, and so I, I, don't, I don't remember anything like super earth-shattering happened, Steph. I, 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 yeah, nothing. There was about 200 people who were present that day. Like the Shekinah glory of God did not fall down. It did not. It did not happen. Uh, revival did not sweep through our little Baptist church, or through, uh, or through the city of Angleton, Texas. Uh, I don't think anyone trusted Jesus that day. Needless to say, in the grand scheme of things, I, I don't think that my first sermon was all that memorable. Seriously, Peter, on the other hand, knocked it out of the park. Like first at bat, boldness. Power, uh, clarity. He pointed to Jesus, flawlessly mixed in Old Testament text, like flawless altar call, okay? Three th- for, for my old school, uh, flawless altar, altar call. 3,000 people got saved. We're going to see this in one day. I don't care what your church growth metric is. <laughs> Um, I, I don't care like what your markers are for a successful sermon. Uh, by all accounts, Peter killed it that day. And, and, and so this morning, again, we're going we're gonna to look at just this ripple effect, the, the, the aftermath of, of what, what transpired at, at Pentecost, the Spirit of God falling and, and launching His church. And one thing that we'll see throughout Acts is when, when the gospel goes forth, the church grows. Can I get an amen on that? Like when the gospel is going forth and being lived out and spoken, like the church just, it grows. When the, when the Spirit of God stirs up His people, man, there, there, is, there is transformation and there's also like some upheaval of the status quo. Amen? And so three, three questions 
which really become like run on long questions that turn into six questions that I'm going to throw out this morning as we get started. Uh, just, just to get us primed for the text. But, but the first is this, Christian, how is your witness? How, how is your witness and, and, and how is the Spirit of God moving through you to speak through you? Number two, Christian, how is your life currently reflecting the grace of and the gracious love of God to others. And if your if your life was was a preview of the kingdom, would others, specifically those outside of Christ and outside of the church, like would they want to be there? Did y'all catch that? How is your how are you graciously reflecting the love of God? And if your life is like a preview, right, of, of this life that you have in God, this love that you have in God, if, if that's a preview of the kingdom, man, would others even want to be in that kingdom? And then three, I would say, Christian, are are you are you on a mission for an affinity group or are you on a mission for all people? That's what we look at. That's what we're going to see in, in the text today. Hard questions, but as as we look at the aftermath of of Pentecost, uh, there's no room for doubt. When God is moving, the gospel is changing lives. It's it's changing paradigms, and it's it's driving this sense of urgency that all know of the grace and the glory of God in Jesus. Amen, church? And so y'all are going to have to bear with me today. I'm losing my voice. It's all good. Uh, there was this ripple effect. There, there was, we, we see this aftermath of, of Pentecost, and we see it right off the bat with Peter. Look, look with me at verse 14. It says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, he lifted up his voice, and he addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. The first thing we see is we see the, the testimony. We see the Spirit moves us from silence to being spokespeople, to being spokespeople for God. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, testimony. Look at your other neighbor and say, testimony. See, y'all could have gotten like super charismatic with it. Come on, like testify, testimony. So we see the testimony, okay? Church fam, it, it, it's important to understand the, the, the scene in which these events unfolded. Though, though I, I believe the Spirit fell in the upper room, the apostles and those who were present, they were compelled to go out into the city. We've talked about this. Many commentators believe that Peter's message took place in the temple's outer courtyard. This, this would have been the court, the, 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 the court of Gentiles. Now, there's no doubt, we, we saw this last week, that there were people present who were amazed. And there were people present who, who were astonished and perplexed. We saw this in verses 6 and 7, in verse 12 of, of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to see that there were many who responded positively, but already in verse 13, you got people accusing the apostles and those present of being drunk, right? 
Even though Peter's like, hey, guys, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. Like, it's the hour of prayer. Probably not a good idea for like a, you know, faithful band of Jews. Like, let's get liquored up before prayer time, okay? And so, they're, but they're, they're accusing, and my point, my point is this, right? What I'm telling you is like, this wasn't getting up and like giving a little talk in front of your missional community group, like surrounded by your friends and supporters. Like, I'm just going to share my testimony. It's going to be awesome. No, like, this is being so surrounded by friend and foe alike. This was a mixed crowd, and this was the setting not only for Peter's first sermon, but also for the, the, the first sort of inaugural uh, gospel-centered sermon post-Pentecost. Kent Hughes says this, and it's, it's appropriate. Peter had this position of primacy among the apostles, he had the position of primus. He, he, Peter was always first in everything. Sometimes he was first in things like you don't want to be first in. He was first on the water, Kent Hughes says. He was first with his mouth. And you'll remember Peter was first with the sword. Although I'm like, this dude did not have sword skills. He chopped off an ear, right? Jesus like, hold up, stop, and put the ear back. <laughs> um, in many ways, it, it, it makes perfect sense that... Uh, Peter would be the first to deliver this sermon after Pentecost. But what makes this first sermon of Peter's like all the more incredible is to go back and look at his life some 50 days or so before. Because it was in Matthew 26, 35, where Peter, you know, Jesus kind of drops this news on him. He's like, listen, like, I mean, I, you guys are going to fall away. I mean, essentially letting them know, I, I've got to do this alone. This is kind of a God thing. This is not a man thing. And, and, and Peter says in verse tw- uh, 35 of Matthew 26, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, right? And, and so he's kind of supercharging the apostles. And again, he's first to just say, no, no, no. Like, I'm actually, Jesus, I'm going to die with you. And, and I, Jesus is just, Jesus loved him well. But uh, didn't work out like that. Because shortly thereafter, we see Peter buckling under pressure. We've, we've, we talked about this over the last couple of weeks. Failing to speak up even when confronted by a little preteen servant girl. And by the end of Matthew 26, reveals Peter went so far as to invoke a curse upon himself in his denial of Christ. That was, that was Peter in his own strength. That was Peter in his own flesh. When the, when the public pressure was on, Peter went silent about his association with Jesus. Good thing that never happens today, right? When the public pressure was on, he went silent about his association with Jesus. But something happened. Something happened that, that transformed Peter from the inside out. The resurrection happened. Pentecost happened. The Spirit of God had fallen on the hearts of the disciples. And and Peter, along with all the apostles, listen, church, they'd never be the same. Amen? They'd never be the same. In church, there was was a horde of people that day in Jerusalem. The crowds were out in full force. And we've already seen that, that many of those cats, like they were not responding favorably to what was going on. Even before Peter opened up his mouth to preach that sermon, that there were a lot of people who weren't down with what was going on. Peter stepped out and he boldly proclaims Christ. 
Even in the face of potential persecution, even with all the backlash, y'all, this, this was a different Peter. This was a different Peter. We take, we take folks at, at Restoration Church Bryan through a deal called Real Life Discipleship. And a lot, of, a lot of folks who go through what we call RLD, we got all these acronyms, and we don't explain them, so it just makes things confusing. Um, I'm going to RCB, get plugged into an MCG, and then I'm going to do RLD. <laughs> just spell it out for folks, okay? But we do real-life discipleship, and, and in it, we, we, uh, we talk about these people kind of tend to go through these spiritual growth phases of maturity, and there's stages to a Christian's walk in maturity. And we, we're not, there's no, you don't always fall in these like nice, neat little lines. But the reality of God's church is that each local congregation uh, like is filled with people who are all over this spectrum of, of sort of spiritual growth. And, and we're all in process. And so one of the things that we, we talk about, we say is, hey, a disciple uh, is one who is following Jesus one who is being transformed by Jesus and one who is committed to the mission of Jesus. Man, that's the goal. Like, that's the goal. Like, if you're in here and you profess Christ, like, that is the goal. It's to follow Jesus, to be transformed by Jesus, and to be committed to His mission. That's the end game. The problem is, the American church caters, caters to spiritual infants and children and allows you to stay exactly where you are without calling you to more. That's just, that's just truth. And the American church invites you so often to be a spectator instead of an ambassador. And the American church invites you to comfort instead of to being a, a culture changer. It invites you to, and this is where we get kind of get rooted in the text, it invites you to let the professionals do the speaking while you do the sitting and the soaking. That is not the picture of Scripture. Restoration fam, like that, that's not God's design. When the, when the Spirit of God moves on you, know this, one of the things that should happen in your life is you should move from being silent about Jesus to like seeing yourself as like, I'm a spokesperson for Jesus. And, and then like, hey, if I'm a spokesperson for Jesus, I probably want to represent him well with my life and my speech. So I better know what his word says. So you won't even... You don't even be able to help yourself, right? Like it's this idea that Jesus just sort of oozes out of you. I had to go back and look in Jeremiah in, in 20 verse 9. Jeremiah says, if I say I will not mention him or speak anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire, Jeremiah said, shut up in my bones and I am weary with holding it, with, with holding it in and I cannot. That was what Jeremiah had to say about, about trying to, to hold in this God speech. Last year, you know, everyone, everyone at some point was, is, is talking about Kanye West, right? And everybody had to have a hot take. And everybody, uh, I, I love it. I, I love it. Uh, you may or may not find me and our, our boys cruising uh, down well, I was going to say Texas Avenue, but we avoid it at all costs. <laughs> Side streets of Bryan College Station uh, bumping some Jesus is King, 
And uh, I, I would argue that Kanye had tried to talk about Jesus before. Like this, like this dude had, had tried it. <laughs> and, and even then, but, but this before I would say, like the Spirit of God got a hold of his life and he got saved. He, he tried to talk about Jesus, but his lyrics were still filled with explicit lyrics. And it was still all about him. And so, like, I'm not saying you need to put uh, uh, put Kanye up on this this unnecessary pedestal or or idolize him. I do think we need to pray for this dude because of his voice and his platform, and because he's a relatively brand new believer. But what I'm saying here here's my point. What I'm saying is this: when the Spirit of God falls on your life, and when the Spirit of God falls on your heart, Jesus Christ gets pressed into your life. And your lips follow suit. When the Spirit comes, Jesus gets pressed into your heart. He gets pressed into your life. And your lips should follow suit, Christian. Second thing this morning. We get into some meat. We're going to break this down for a little bit. Look at verse 16 through 20. Peter says this. We, we start getting into the content of the sermon. For these people, and again, this goes back to their accusation from verse 13. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. That's important. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirits. And they shall prophesy. And will show wonders in the heavens above. Signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness. The moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. So we've talked about the testimony. Now, now we see the tension. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, the tension. Look at your other neighbor and say, the tension. We, we live in this already, not yet. We, we, live, we, we live in this sort of already, not yet. See, Peter's sermon is, is first of all, decidedly Christ-centered. And as Acts 2 continues, we'll, we'll see multiple references. Not, not just to some like generic Jesus, but, but to Christ crucified for sinners and raised. And another thing that, that we observe as Peter, as Peter preaches is this. His words are saturated with Old Testament scripture and prophecy. Saturated with it. In fact, he immediately, he immediately quotes a prophecy from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, if you want to write that down. He quotes from Joel 2, 28 through 32, but it raises an immediate question, right? It raises this question, to what extent, if any, is this prophecy of, of Joel being fulfilled? And, and, and so we, we got to dig in and, and, and the reality and we'll, we'll kind of they're they're godly people all over. But there's three primary interpretations of what's going on here. One is some believe that Peter was claiming that 
Everything, all of what Joel had prophesied was being fulfilled. That's one view. Another view is that others believe that there was only a partial fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in Acts. They, they see verses 17 and 18, right? The prophesying, the visions, the dreams, they see that is, is being fulfilled at Pentecost and kind of the ripple effect of Pentecost. Um, but they, they see that uh, the events of verses 19 and 20 their fulfillment they see as still future. And there's a third camp, and, and again, this kind of three broad, broad brushstrokes, but there's a third group who believe that none of these events were fulfilled in Acts. People in this camp believe that Peter was only comparing, right, kind of using for illustration's sake what happened in Pentecost to the events of Joel's prophecy. They're godly people. Let me just say this again. <laughs> They're godly people who love Jesus, who are in all three camps. Can we get an amen on that? You're like, oh, I don't know. That's not my view. Um, and each group has a biblical construct for, for their, their view. And so collectively, I think we've got to have some humility and grace knowing that godly people come to different con- conclusions. So when verse 16 says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel, I... Um, I, I tend to lean a little more towards the second uh, interpretation that some, but not all of the events of Joel 2 were fulfilled at Pentecost and the events of Acts in the early church. Already, the Spirit had been poured out. Like we, we, we see that in verse 17 and 18. And, and in fact, if you, as, you're, as you're rolling through Acts... Peter, just a short time later, Peter himself was going to have this game-changing vision in Acts 10 regarding God's sort of inclusion of the Gentiles into his plan of salvation. In fact, later in Acts, we're going to see people boldly prophesying. Some dude named Agabus. Don't name your kid Agabus, okay? He had four daughters. We see the daughters of Agabus prophesying, right? We see Stephen as he... Like, dude is being martyred. He's having large rocks thrown at his skull. He's being martyred. And he has a vision of Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Paul, later on, we we see Paul has these visions from God. And so, in a a very real way, Joel's prophecy was, was unfolding before their eyes. Tony Morita, he says this as a point of clarification. I think, I think it's important. Peter is not saying that every believer has the gift of prophecy. Can I get an amen on that? Hey, not every believer has the gift of prophecy, or I would add has dreams and visions. Rather, he means every believer shares, Morita says, shares the general privilege and responsibility of these Old Testament prophets. Such people were able to know God intimately and were commissioned to speak God's word. They were commissioned to, to speak from the scriptures, speak God's word. And so, listen, I, I, I believe this is me, that the events of verses 19 and 20 are, are still future. See, already the Spirit of God had been poured out, but these, these signs in the heavens were still future and still very much connected to a future day of the Lord. Now, I will say this. 
They're amillennialists, and, and, and if you don't know what that means, that's okay. You can Google it or not. Um, but there's some in, uh, who are, uh, have an amillennial view or uh, hold to some other views who say uh, that, that they see Peter's inclusion of, of this physical Im- imagery in verses 19 and 20. The blood, the fire, the vapor, the smoke, sun being turned into darkness, moon to blood. They see all that in a, in a spiritual way. Not as, not as physical, like a physical phenomena. Um, and, and, and that's their view. Still others, they see the fulfillment of this imagery as associated with the death of Jesus at the cross. There are others who see the fulfillment in the fall and destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Rome comes in and, and the Roman general Titus comes and wipes out Jerusalem. Some see those sort of, those, those sort of earthly events as connected to the fall of Jerusalem where, where hundreds of thousands, if not into the millions of Israelites, of Jews, were slaughtered by Rome. In light, in light of the Old Testament, I, I, I believe, this is, this, is, this is me, I believe that the day of the Lord um, is, is revealed to be uh, much more universal in scope and consequence. The day of the Lord, because that's what he's referring to, Joel is referring to, that's what Peter's referring to, was, was this day of judgment for the whole world. Uh, uh, which immediately preceded the coming reign of the Lord over the earth, was preceded with the coming reign of the Lord over the earth. Um, we, we see this in Isaiah 2. If you want to write some of these down, Isaiah 2, 12 through 22, talks about this day of the Lord that is coming. And I agree with David Peterson who says, the day of the Lord refers to that, this terrible occasion when God judges the nations in alignment with Joel 3, 1 through 15, Amos 5, 18 through 20. I'll say that a couple, one more time. Joel 3, 1 through 15, which is right after the prophecy that Peter's referring to. Also Amos 5, 18 through 20. David Peterson says the prophet Joel does not indicate the length of time between the outpouring of God's spirit and the outpouring of his wrath. But the former is a sign that the the latter will most definitely take place. And then one commentator put it like this, and I say a hearty amen. Whatever the prophet envisioned, his words show us the holiness of the Lord. Amen. Um, And it reminds us, and we see this in verse 21, for everyone to call, who calls uh, to call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And in regard to this tension, here, here's, here's the thing. I know, I mean, this is meat, right? We're digging in. But it's important to dig into God's word. Here, here's, here's, here's my view, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm still, here's my confession. I'm still in process. Um, so you can be gracious with me if, if you hold a different view. Um, and, and hey, praise God, a core value of Restoration Church, Brian's gracious character, so we get to practice it together, right? Um, I, I believe that there was this partial fulfillment and that the Spirit was being poured out. And, and although, yes, at, at this time, he was, the Spirit was poured out on 120 Jewish people, no, the, but the movement had begun, Amen. This movement would spread out from Jerusalem. And, and, and as Acts unfolds, we do see the Spirit being poured out on all flesh. Amen? 
Like it, it wasn't, it, j- it didn't just stay there. We, we see it included Samaritans. It included Gentiles all the way to Rome and beyond. We see the Spirit of God being poured out. And I believe that the, the Spirit had to be poured out on the hearts of people for people to be renewed and to be saved and to be, check this out, qualified for the kingdom. The problem was none of us, nobody was qualified for that kingdom. And nobody, our sin separated us from God until Christ came. And I personally believe that the kingdom will arrive when the king physically returns and and, and reigns on earth, fulfilling Old Old Testament prophecy, not not reigning spiritually from heaven as as many Jesus-loving Bible-studying Christians believe. And so my, my view is this. Though, though the kingdom is still future, because the Spirit has been richly poured out right now, amen, um, on all of God's people, His people, listen, we are now kingdom ambassadors who embody not only the character of God, the character of his kingdom, but the message of God's kingdom. And we embody that and we live that. We speak that right now. We can reflect and represent this this kingdom, um, but I I don't believe that we we live in that kingdom right now in part due uh, to... uh, Satan's scripture is pretty clear. Satan's continued role, 2 Corinthians 4.4, as God of this world. As the prince of the power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. And John's mentioned, the apostle John, not John the Baptist, but John's mention in 1 John 5.19 that the whole world still lies in the power of the evil one. Post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. And, and so I, it's, it's like this. I love C.S. Lewis. I think he had some crazy end-time views, but I love the Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe. <laughs> There's this scene in, in the Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe where like, Aslan has been raised. Like, no pun intended. That cat, he, he's not on the stone table, okay? Maybe intended. <laughs> he's no longer on the stone table. Like, he's not there. He, he's raised. But, but there's, there's this gap where Jadis and all the queen, all her armies are on the offensive, right? And all of Narnia is, is under attack. And seemingly, like it, it seems like she's winning the battle. And there, there's, no, like there's no doubt who the king of Narnia is. Like there's, there, there's no doubt who the king of Narnia is. He, he just wasn't, he's not physically present when the battle begins. And in the battle, again, it appears as though the queen is going to get the best of Edmund. Like she's got him under the sword. Like if y'all have seen the movie, if you've read the books, read the books, they're better. They, things look bleak, but in the end, man, Aslan comes. And he comes blazing onto the scene suddenly. And, 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 glo- and it's glorious. <laughs> and it's decisive. And he, he jumps in and he, like, he pounces. He delivers the final death blow to Queen Jadis. And he restores Narnia 
to its former splendor. Church, we, we, live, we live in this tension. But praise God that we can agree on this. Ready? The king will return. Amen? Third thing, and we're done. Verse 21 says, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Third thing we look at is the target. Once you look at your neighbor, say the target. The gospel is for everyone. I know, I threw you off. You only did it once. <laughs> Keep you on your toes. The target. The gospel is for everyone. See, man, I, like, I'm always, 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 probably too much, thinking about our, our vision and our mission as a local church. To be a gospel-centered church that is devoted to discipleship and diversity. And I think there's, there's two ditches that we can fall into. I think in, in regard to this as, as we wrestle with this tension. I, I think one is like, oh, well, okay, if the kingdom is still future, like I guess we just can't, we just sit around and we can't really do anything about the evil in this world, right? Like uh, there was the generations that have gone before me, you know, it's like this, well, man, the world's just going to hell in a handbasket. Like, I don't know. There's nothing to do. Um, really? And so there's this view of like, oh, well, I guess like if the kingdom's still future, then I, we just can't really do anything about injustice, you know? Like we just can't really do anything about abuse or unrighteousness or evil. That's garbage. That's ridiculous. That's not right. But on the flip side, you've got, and, and again, I'm painting with broad brushstrokes, so not everyone fits neatly into these categories, but last week talking a lot about the kind of charismatic, some pockets of the charismatic movement. On the flip side, you've got others saying that, okay, the kingdom of God is right now, and we can, we can usher it in with our signs and our miracles and our healing, but I, I don't think that there are many in this camp who they, it doesn't always, they don't always take into uh, uh, account Satan's continued authority, albeit limited by God. It doesn't have a good grasp on man's depravity and rebellion against God. And it's funny how some within this camp, they have this theology and there's some within this movement who tend to, they tend to make it all about us. They tend to make it all about us and they, they, they tend to take the emphasis off of the unique Godhood of Jesus as Messiah and Lord. So, so we live in this tension that King Jesus and His kingdom are coming, but we don't, we don't idly sit back and wait for Him to get here. Like We are His ambassadors, amen? We are His ambassadors. We do represent the King. We do represent the character of the King right now. The, the Spirit has been poured out and we must tell people the good news that the King has come, but He came as a servant and He offered His life as a sacrifice. What, like, what King does that? What King does that? King Jesus did. But then the King rose. And he defeated sin and death. And the king is going to return. Amen? Listen, I, I, like, I don't know. And we're gonna, we'll get back to the target. 
I don't know if this side of eternity we're going to be able to resolve sort of this already not yet tension. But here's what I know. Romans 2, 4 says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Amen. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So here's what I know. Grace is the game changer. Grace, God's unmerited favor through Jesus, is the only thing that can change sinful human hearts. That's it. His unmerited favor is the only thing that will do it. And the best news of all, and this is where we get to the target, this is where we get to verse 21, there is no specific type of person, there's no people group, there's no age, there's no gender, there's no demographic, there's no class that has a leg up on anybody else. Amen? And in fact, before God, like, We are all in the same sinful predicament of brokenness and separation from Him. All of us. And Acts 2.21 is revealing that the Gospel is for anyone and everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? And the truth that all too, I think all too many American churches don't want to talk about is this. People will be held accountable by God for sin and falling short of being His image bearers. And just because we don't want to talk about it doesn't mean that it is smack dab in the middle throughout Scripture. And there, there is a day of the Lord where God's judgment will rightly and righteously fall on the whole world. And Darrell Box says Peter's ultimate point will be is, is that the only way to be delivered from that day is to call upon the name of the Lord and thereby seek God's salvation. And so people's responses to Jesus, listen, like their their eternal consequences, their eternal ramifications here. And like I think we just like we just kind of like go about our day church like we forget about that. Right? Like, oh, I've got this work project and I've got school and I like good, important, necessary things. But man, there's people around us who don't know Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.20 says this. It says we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God. Be reconciled. Be reconciled reconciled to God through Christ. See, that's why we, that's we, that's what we plead with others. Be reconciled with God. See, the church has gotten so busy like telling people how awesome they are, we've forgotten to remind them like if they haven't repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus, they're still at enmity with God and not reconciled with Him. In Romans 5.8 says God has demonstrated His, He demonstrates His love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But the New Testament doesn't teach universalism. We still, you've got to respond to God's call in the person and the work of Jesus. I'm going to close with this. And we're done. Look, Look at the ripple effect. 
of Pentecost. Look, look, look at the aftermath of Pentecost. The boys know, our, our, our four boys, Ruthie will know very soon. Um, there's the, there's the, the, the rock, this little rock formation that, that overlooks uh, Omaha and Grandpa's swimming pool when we go back to Angleton. And what do you do from the rock? You cannonball into the pool. That's what you do. <laughs> and so when Benji cannonballs from the rock, <laughs> all 38 pounds of him at five years old, he's tough. Uh, it's about like if a mosquito landed on the water. <laughs> Not much of a ripple effect. When Titus cannonballs off the rock and, and, and hits the water, like, there's a little ripple effect. When Levi uh, hits the water in, in full cannonball position, like, like you, you feel it. When Dad jumps off, true story, when, I, when Dad jumps off that rock and cannonballs into the pool, like, that water moves. Big ripple effect. Everybody feels it. If you are outside of the pool, you, you probably feel it too. Listen. At Pentecost, there was this ripple effect. It, the world felt it. Like it, it changed everything. Listen, we, like, we, have, we have a big vision as a local church. We have a big vision to, to bring a diverse community together under the banner of Jesus Christ crucified and raised. Amen? So like that is a God-sized vision like that we like we cannot do. Like there are no shortcuts. We can't, we can't willpower or like fake our way toward that. Just like at Pentecost, it will take a mighty movement of the Spirit of God. A mighty movement of the Spirit of God. It will take a people who can't be silent about Jesus. It will take genuinely grace-transformed hearts and lives. Praise God that the Spirit that was at work in the early church is alive and well today. Amen? Man, praise God for that. Do we, church, do we believe that? See, if we did then there's nothing stopping us from seeing thousands of people in our city and beyond come to know and follow Jesus. Y'all pray with me this morning.